edition of the Pull Tab Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you for listening, liking, subscribing, sharing with a friend, anywhere you find podcasts. Anchor, Apple, Spotify, Google, all those areas you can find podcasts, you can find me. So appreciate it. Again, at Pull Tab Podcast, all one word is my Twitter handle. Go check out stuff there that I post. And also you can contact me at podcast at yahoo.com. All right, this week, get into a couple little things, but we'll touch on last week a little bit. My pops came and hung out for a little while, talked some Vegas odds, talked some NFL, talked some over-under win totals. He did a pretty good job. I learned a lot from him. He's learned a lot from me. So we'll have him back on. We'll talk about some NFL futures maybe next week, somewhere around there when things start getting going again. So I like sitting around, hanging out with my pops, talking a little bit of sweet action. All right, let's jump into it. First thing, video surfaced today of Lamar Jackson playing some beach football. Doesn't sound too abnormal, right? Well, the problem is, is he took a header into a jet ski. So John Harbaugh and the Ravens organization pretty much saw their season ending before it even started with this video. I get it. You're off season. You want to go out and have some fun. But man, not a good look. Not a good look playing beach volleyball, taking a header into a jet ski. So Hopefully, Lamar Jackson is healthy there, didn't get injured, and everything's okay. Let's move over to Minnesota. The Minnesota Vikings have a problem on their hands, and it's not Stephon Diggs this time. He's gone in Buffalo. It's Delvin Cook. Now he wants to hold out. He wants a new contract. Set to make about $2 million in 2020, he wants more. He wants to hold out. And like we talked about in previous shows, running backs just don't command that kind of money anymore. They don't command top dollar. Vikings, they say... They were blindsided by his actions, didn't expect him to do this or want to hold out. There hasn't even been any team activities yet. Nothing's even been organized. OTAs, nothing yet. And Cook's already coming out saying, yep, I want to restructure my deal. Otherwise, I'm not coming to camp. I'm not playing. That's a bad spot for Minnesota to be in. It really is. If you look at their backup running backs, of Alex Matisson, Mike Boone, and Amir Abdullah. Okay, that's their depth chart in Minnesota without Delvin Cook. Not a good spot to be in. He affects the whole offense. He affects how that whole offense will run. That affects if Kirk gets time to throw the football or not. Stack up against the run, opens up the pass. Kirk opens up the pass, it helps the run. And Cook's a hard runner. He gets those tough yards, those third and twos, or those second and threes where you want to have different options. He will get those tough yards. He's a good back. Now, I know he had some injury problems. He missed about 50%. Of the games in the first two seasons he's played. But he's gotten much better than that. More reliable now. But man, again, another player just doesn't feel like they want their contract or play their contract out. They want to restructure it. I don't know if the contract even means anything anymore. If you sign a contract with an organization, does it mean anything anymore? Because I think the players just say, you know what? I'm not going to show up. You know, contract means is a contract. You have to contractually play for a team that you signed for. Not anymore. Not in this day and age. You can pretty much dictate whatever you want to do. Sign a contract a year or two later, you don't like it, you're out. And a lot of things that's happening with players now is they are putting in incentives in their contract to keep being the highest paid player at that position. So if a player sends a contract, let's say at the wide receiver position, three years down the line in that contract, he'll write that he wants to be able to have the option to renegotiate further on so he can jump the rung on the ladder again and be the highest paid player. It's just, it's out of control. It really is. The days of you sign your contract, you prove your worth, and the next contract you get your bump. Not you sign your contract, and in Delvin Cook's case, he had a couple rough first two seasons, injury plagued, 
played really well last year. Boom. Now I want a contract. I want to make more than $2 million a year. I want to make $8 million a year, whatever he's requesting from the Vikings. And also the guaranteed money has gotten out of control too. I mean, Kirk Cousins signed that contract for $80 plus million, all guaranteed money. That is insanity. Player gets hurt and goes down, you still owe him that money. It's crazy. Hey, if you're a player, you want the most guaranteed money you can get because if you do get hurt, you're covered. But the guaranteed money and the signing bonus and all that stuff like that used to be relatively low. If you signed a $24 million contract and you got a couple hundred thousand for signing bonus, you might get three, four million guaranteed and you got to play out the rest of the contract. Now it's like three quarters of the contract needs to be guaranteed money or these players aren't signing it. It's unbelievable. They almost hold the team hostage for their services. I don't know. I'm old school. You come in, you play. I mean, in my opinion, I think the NFL, I mean, hell, hell, you could go across the board with this. I like player incentive contracts. Don't sign just a rookie deal. You come out, you're number one pick in the draft. You sign a three-year, four-year, $75 million deal. It's cut and dry. It's in the books. It's in the NFL Players Association. This is what you get. How about setting up a, uh, an incentive deal? And even for veterans, set up an, an incentive-based contract. Players don't want that. But imagine that. If you had a contract where you got paid X amount if you hit A, so many rushing yards, B, so many touchdowns, C, so many receptions, D, so many receiving touchdowns. You can build an incentive-laden contract in there. And don't get me wrong. There's got to be give and take with the team and the player. Okay? The team, you can't just put these numbers, these unachievable numbers for a player to try to reach so they don't have to pay them. That's not the way this should work. The way it should work is it should be a little bit of give and take, achievable numbers, and that player can meet those numbers, and they can make a ton of money. They go out there and play and put the effort in. Hey, you're going to get rewarded for the way you play. I don't know. I'm up the old school. I like that way of thinking. I like that. This is a performance-driven sport. I just don't like the way that these players these days are holding these teams over the fire to try to get a contract redone when they haven't played out their initial contract. And I get it 100%. If you're a rookie and you come in and you, and you seriously outperform your contract for those two, three years and you're grossly underpaid, I understand from the player side where you're coming from, but that's where I think incentive-based contracts can help the rookies too or help the two, three-year guys that are in the league too. Put some incentives out there. Let them play to it. If they get it, guess what? You're getting bonuses. You're getting bumped. So many of this, you get guaranteed money. It's like the whole contract thing has gotten completely out of control, and I think that it needs to be reined in somewhere along the line. So Minnesota's got a problem on their hands. Before it was Stephon Diggs. He's now in Buffalo, no longer a problem. Now out of, out, of, out of the woods comes Delvin Cook, says, yep, I want to worry about me now. So we'll see how that plays out in Minnesota. But again, contracts, very, very hot topic here as the years have gone on. All right, let's talk a little bit about NASCAR. Mentioned the last podcast, Atlanta was on the docket. Thought it was going to be a really good race. I told you it was going to be a good race. The race was boring. It was terrible. I can't believe a track is fast and slide around and tire wear as Atlanta Proved to be nothing. It was boring. Harvick won easily. Not much going on there at all. They went to Martinsville midweek last week under the lights, which was pretty awesome. First time Cup has run. NASCAR's run under the lights at Martinsville. Pretty good race. A lot of comers and goers like usual. Martin Truex ended up running away with about 115 laps to go. Kind of ran away from the field and took the win there in Martinsville. Truex has been kind of knocking on the door there. He's been running well. New crew chief this year. Obviously, Cole Pern left. Took his family, went back to Canada. So he's been working through some stuff. But Truex is still showing speed and gets the win at Martinsville. On to Miami this past weekend. 
Xfinity ran twice, Saturday and Sunday. Really good races on both accounts. Harrison Burton ended up winning a, a late caution race. Dale Jr. was in that race as well, too. He finished fifth, but ran second to third most of the race. was pretty good. Gregson pretty much dominated that first race, I would say, but Harrison Burton ended up snookering everybody on the end after that late race caution and restart. And on Sunday, Chase Briscoe ended up winning on Sunday. The day before, crew chief, engineer, car chief, all suspended for ballast falling out of the race car on Saturday. They bring in a couple other guys. Greg Zabadelli, I believe, crew chief that car on Sunday, and they ended up winning. Not too bad if you can get Greg Zabadelli to fill in for Richard Boswell as your crew chief. That's pretty pretty good replacement there. So Chase Briscoe goes on to win Xfinity race on Sunday. Cup race marred by rain and lightning. Some more lightning. And then some more lightning. And what happens is most of these tracks have a radius, a mile radius. And if you're in that mile radius and it lightnings, you have to pause for 30 minutes. So that's what NASCAR was fighting quite a bit yesterday. Ended up running till about 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. It was a really good race. Denny Hamlin ended up winning the race. Blaney and Chase Elliott were trying to run him down at the end. I think Chase sat back, cooled his tires down with about 10 to go, tried to make a run, got loose, got up in the fence. And Holmes is one of those places where you really want to be a foot off the wall all the way around that racetrack. You can dab down to the bottom and run the middle, and your car may handle okay. But really, in all, all reality, those big runs that you get off for of four and get off for of two at Homestead is where you want to be up against the wall. But you flirt with it. You flirt with damage. You flirt with getting into the wall. That's what happens when you run up there at Miami Homestead, but that's the fast way around the racetrack. Hamlin's really good. Second half of that race pretty much dominated it. So Hamlin goes on to win there. Obviously, one day, Tona 500 earlier in the year. Joe Gibbs wins Martinsville. Go on to win Miami Homestead. Next week, into Talladega, which obviously, Talladega's always a good one to watch. You never know what you're going to get there. Just roll the dice of who's going to win there. Roll the dice if you're going to make it out alive. You're just going there to try to get a finish, right? If you can bring the car home, even with three wheels on it, but you can cross the start finish line. Sometimes that's considered a win going to Talladega. So that'll be a good one. That'll be good to watch. No practice. They decided they're not going to have any practice there. They're going to do the same thing as they've been doing. They're going to go to the racetrack. They're going to show up, go through tech, line them up, and race. So Talladega this weekend for the Cup Series should be a good one. PGA back at it this weekend with the Charles Schwab Challenge in Fort Worth, Texas. No fans. Little weird watching it on TV with no fans. Man, kind of a snoozer, you know, kind of a snoozer. You, I guess you don't really think when you watch golf that you're as much in interaction with the fans on TV, but there actually really is. Spieth played a lot better this week. Obviously, he's been out in the wilderness wandering around trying to find his game. He played well this week, finished 11th, fell back a little bit on Sunday. His good buddy, Justin Thomas, has been pretty strong. Really hasn't fallen off much last year or two. Ended up finishing 9th. Sunday fell back a little bit. Xander Shoffley had a good control of this match, of this tournament. Fell apart on 15 and 17 coming in. I mean, he was playing connect the dots on 15 and 17. Lipped out a putt. Short putt lipped out. One down going to 18. Couldn't get a birdie. So it ended up being Morikawa and Berger going to a playoff. Colin Morikawa, who's been a young young kid, is kind of becoming a little bit on the rise in the PGA Tour. And Daniel Berger, been around for a little bit, went to a playoff, and Berger ended up winning there. So not a huge star-studded leaderboard on a Sunday that you want to see. Some good names in there, though. There was Spieth up there, like I mentioned, and Thomas and Xander. These are all big-time players. The younger guys, Merrill Kawa and Berger, you know, it happens in the PGA. You get these guys. We may never hear Daniel Berger again, right? But he won. Good money to put in his pocket. We'll be able to carry him probably for the next two, three years on the tour, even if he doesn't win. Punches his ticket to the Masters. All the things that come along with it. So good for him. But, again, 
Some of these guys, you hear about them once, and you never hear them again, right? Danny Willett won the Masters a couple years ago, right? Danny Willett. Anyone heard of Danny Willett? Knock, knock. Danny Willett, are you anywhere to be found in the PGA Tour? Oh, he's there, but he gets cut most of the time. So moving on there, Tom Brady working out with Deion Sanders' son. Deion Sanders' son is a quarterback at Trinity Christian High School in Texas, his senior. Pretty cool. He's got a lot of offers, as you would think he would, coming from the Sanders family and that heritage and those genes. Obviously, Dion is one of the, if not the best athlete of all time, along with Bo Jackson, multi-sport, all the things that come along with it, prime time. Everybody knows Dion Sanders. His son's been getting offers from Bama and Florida State, Oregon, LSU. I mean, pretty much, let's just say everybody across the board has been giving him offers to play football for them. Ranked 41st in the country. It's not the greatest, but... He's very, very talented, and all his schools know that, and that's why they're trying to get him. But it's got to be a pretty cool experience for him to work with Tom Brady, even just for a day, whatever the case may be, just to go hang out with him, learn from him, pick his brain a little bit, throw the ball around with Tom Brady. That's pretty cool for him. So good luck to him. It's going to be good this year. We'll see where he ends up playing college football. NBA, again, we talked about it last week. They're going to get going in July. Some of the details will still be ironed out. Won't spend too much time on this one, but they're going to get going again. Some players are like, yeah, let's go play basketball. And some players are like, I don't really want to go play basketball at all. And some teams aren't even have the option because if you're eight games out of the playoff picture, like I mentioned before, you're going to be out. NBA is going to start with eight games, quote-unquote, regular season, then move into the playoffs in this Orlando Disney World setup that they're going to have. So NBA get going. We'll talk about that as that gets rolling. Badgers, a couple more recruiting Signings for the Badgers actually doing pretty good this year. Not bad. I mean, Badgers are never going to be a top five recruiting school of Rivals or 247 Sports, whatever the ranking is. But Rivals has them at 15, and 247 Sports right now has the Badgers at the number 12 recruiting class, which isn't so, which really isn't so bad. I mentioned before a couple other signings in, re, in a recent podcast. They just added a couple more four-star recruits. Got offensive lineman from Iowa, offensive tackle from Minnesota, and a homegrown kid, offensive lineman from Grafton. And, of course, like I mentioned, Hunter Wolder, the safety from Muskego, was obviously the biggest signing, which probably jumped them up the board a little bit higher. If they didn't sign Hunter, probably back in the high teens, low 20s maybe for this recruiting class. But Paul Christ, his guys, Jimmy Leonard, doing a good job, doing what they can. The Badgers always do that. They get the three-star guys. They get the four-star guys. They make them into four-star and five-star players when it's all said and done. Good coaches there in Madison. Vegas reopened this week. A lot of casinos putting vouchers out there to get people to come. They'll pay for you to fly out to Vegas. Sports getting rolling. It is about time. All right. Let's jump into the pool tab this week. All right. Symbol one, the Heisman Trophy. Symbol two, Lightning Bolt. And symbol three, a big wad of cash. Well, if you've been paying attention in the news this week, this pool tab is for Reggie Bush. The electric, amazing, shifty talent of Reggie Bush played college football at Southern California, got into some scandal, ended up in the NFL, born March 2nd, 1985 in Spring Valley, California. He went to high school at Helix in La Mesa, California, track star. Very, very good track star, along with being an excellent football player. And here's an interesting note a lot of people don't don't realize about Reggie Bush, and I talked about Alex Smith on a podcast a while back. Alex Smith and Reggie Bush played together at that high school. Can you imagine that? Alex Smith and Reggie Bush in the same team in high school? It's awesome. Obviously, Reggie Bush, huge talent, five-star recruit, 
by Rivals.com. He was number one running back in the nation in 2003. Ends up going to USC on a scholarship. Plays there for a couple years under Pete Carroll. Freshman year, All-American. Does everything. He's a running back. He's a wide receiver. He's a kick returner. They do everything with him. All-purpose yards, 1,331 all-purpose yards that freshman year was a school record. 2004, took another jump, became a Heisman finalist with Alex Smith, of all people. Imagine that. Two years in, after you just left high school, and the starting quarterback and the starting running back of that high school team are now sitting in New York, both eligible to win the Heisman Trophy. He didn't win. He didn't win the Heisman Trophy that year. But 2005 came back, and that was his Heisman campaign. 2005, he put up 1,740 yards rushing, 16 touchdowns, 478 yards receiving. He basically doubled his numbers from 2004. So if you were a Heisman candidate in 2004 and you double or triple your numbers going into your junior year, you're going to win the Heisman. That's exactly what happened. They won two championships while he was there. They lost in 2004 to Texas, that memorable game out in Pasadena against Vince Young. Leinart, Bush, all those boys, excellent college football game. If you've never seen it, that 2004 championship game was epic. Just an awesome, awesome football game. Ends up getting drafted by the Saints, second pick overall in the draft. And from 2006 to 2010, really wasn't terrible for the Saints. But I don't believe he put in what he, what the Saints thought they were getting. Obviously, the game in the NFL is a lot faster. When you go from college to the NFL, that gap closes quite a bit. And I think he struggled a little bit. He was okay. He wasn't great. He was serviceable. Hey, he won a Super Bowl with with the Saints in 2009 over the Colts. So not terrible. 2011, ends up getting traded to Miami. He plays a couple years there. Moves on to Detroit, 2013, 2014. Not a lot of success there. San Fran, 2015. Ends up in Buffalo in 2016. So he played 11 years in the NFL. He won a Super Bowl with the Saints. Finished up his career with 5,490 rushing yards, 477 receptions, 3,598 receiving yards, and a total touchdowns of 58. I never, I never would have thought this, I, that he was a serviceable player in the NFL. And that's really what he was. He was a serviceable player. He wasn't the electrifying presence that he was at USC. The dynamic player, the playmaker, the shifty guy. I mean, it looked like he was playing on another level out there in college. It was unfair. I mean, it was almost like he should be wearing flags for these guys instead of trying to tackle them. It was completely unfair how good Reggie Bush was in, in college. The reason he's in the news this week is because after 10 years of the violations and everything that was against the University of Southern California, they are now opening their doors back to Reggie Bush and trying to bring him back into the fold. So... Reports started surfacing around 2006 that the family, his family, may have received some gifts from an agent, which obviously we know is a big no-no in the NCAA. You cannot receive any gifts from boosters, from agents, alumni, any of that. Big no-no. So in 2007, there was a sports agent, Lloyd Lake, came back and sued the Bush family for $291,600 for cash and gifts that he gave. O.J. Mayo, who was a top recruit, and an NBA prospect at the time was playing basketball at USC, was also involved in this, in, in this allegation. It was settled in March 2000, 2010. The outcome is a little unclear of exactly what was settled there, but apparently that lawsuit was taken care of. But June 10, 2010, NCAA filed sanctions against USC for all these items that they found from the Reggie Bush violations. 
Bush did take cash and gifts from Lloyd from 2004 onward when he stepped foot on campus. So Pete Carroll knew this was coming. We had talked about this in previous podcasts when I had Lane Kiffin as a pull tab, knew that this was coming. So 2009, he bolted. He's like, I'm out. I know sanctions are coming. They're gonna, it's going to be bad, right? He takes off. USC goes under a four-year probation. Enter Lane Kiffin, like we talked about, took over the program when it was in this, this type of state. They vacated championships. The 2010-2011 bowl games, they were not eligible for. They were banned. And they lost about 30 scholarships, all due to this Reggie Bush. So June 10th, 2010 is when they imposed this infraction. Fast forward, June 10th, 2020, the 10-year window there that USC had basically had the black mark on Reggie Bush is over. And now they're welcoming him back with open arms. Now, the biggest thing here to be interesting was he had to forfeit his Heisman. Well, I shouldn't say he had to. He forfeited his Heisman Trophy before they came and took it from him. So now that they've essentially paid the price, the school, Reggie Bush, and now the doors are back open for Reggie Bush, he's going to come back in USC. He's going to be allowed back at, the, back at football practices. Who knows? Might even become a coach there someday. You don't know. But he'll be involved with the program. What happens there? Do this, do, does he get his Heisman back? Does the NCAA say, all right, you served your penalty, You're, you can get your Heisman back? I don't necessarily think that they'll give the championships back and recognize USC for the ones it took away. Obviously, you can't get the bowl games back that you were banned for, even though, even though they were good enough to go. You can't get that back. I mean, at the time when this was all going on, they took down every, when this all came down on June 10, 2010, every picture, anything that had to do with number five and Reggie Bush and that USC facility was taken down. Like, he never played. Basically, the NCAA wanted to make it like he never played for the university. That's what they did. But hey, it's 10 years down the line. Okay? Everyone served their time. Give the guy back his Heisman Trophy. Okay? He would have been going to USC regardless. What he did in the football field had nothing to do with what he took off the field. And now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that taking 200-some-plus thousand, allegedly taking 200,000-plus dollars from this agent, Lloyd Lake, or his family, or putting up in the house, or all these other things that were allegedly happening. And this all goes back to the debate of, should we pay college players? If we pay college players, then they, maybe they won't be taking money from agents, and taking money from boosters, and taking money from alumni. But the, the problem I have is that did not affect anything he did on the football field. He was going to go to USC. He was going to dominate the college football landscape. He was going to probably win the Heisman Trophy. That's how good he was. So... I'm looking at it like it's 10 years down the pike. I'm glad USC is opening the doors back up to him to bring him back into the fold because he needs to be back into the fold, right? Reggie Bush, great dynamic football player, serviceable NFL player, but remarkable, rememberable. Everyone remembers Reggie Bush from those early 2000 years at USC. Like I said, go watch that 2004 Texas game. That was an awesome game. But Reggie Bush was a special talent every single time he stepped foot on the football field. So, Glad to see him back in there again. I wish he can get his Heisman Trophy back or be recognized as a Heisman Trophy winner, as I, th- I believe he should be. That came out in the news this week. I want to do a little pull tab on him. Some of you may not know Reggie Bush. Like I said, he's dynamic in college. Yeah, serviceable in the NFL. But go check him out. Go, check, go take a look at some of his highlights and see how dynamic of a football player he was. All right. Not too much to talk about Vegas odds this week. Like I said, we did a, a pretty long show last week with Pops and went through a whole bunch of stuff. I'll try to tune him up again and, and see if we can't get together here real soon and talk a little bit more about some Vegas odds coming out. I'm hoping that some of his NBA stuff is going to get rolling here. We'll get some more numbers to take a look at. 
We'll jump right into the last call favorite. A little bit of a short one this week again. Last call favorite this week, Lakefront Brewery in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Good beer. Good, good beer. Brothers Russ and Jim Klish started Lakefront Brewery. And how it started was Russ bought Jim a home brew book for his birthday. I guess he was getting interested in home brewing. He bought him a book as kind of a joke. Well, Jim took it out and ran with it. And made a pretty damn good beer. So Russ wanted to give it a shot too. He got it going at it. And it almost became a competition between the two of them. It was a sibling rivalry. Who can make the better beer? So they decided, let's start a small brewery. They lived in the River West neighborhood in, in, in Milwaukee. And let's just start a small brewery and see what happens here. So they got a little storefront. And for a few years, they started getting a little bit of traction. They started growing a little bit of popularity. In 1988, they made 72 barrels of beer. Right? Not a lot. 1989, 125 barrels of beer. And then it started going from there. Started doubling, if not more than doubling, every single year. And in 1990, a few short years after they started of just making beer and barrels, they started the bottling process. And the little storefront they bought was a little 3,600-square-foot former bakery in Milwaukee. That's where they started Lakefront Brewery. So they grew. They needed a bigger space. 1872 North Commerce Street came up for sale. It used to be the Milwaukee Electric Railway. And also, was a, it was a coal-fired plant for the light company. The city wanted to tear it down. They wanted nothing to do, it, do with it. They wanted to get rid of it. But they agreed that if a non-industrial business wanted to come in there and renovate it, they would listen. Well, the brothers went in there. It worked out. They bought the property. They renovated it. And on their way. 2000, they actually pretty much made it a brew house to start really being a proper brewery. 2017. 46,848 barrels of beer they produced. So they're not a conglomerate by any means. They're not a Budweiser. They're not a Miller. But that's not too shabby, right? Almost 47,000 barrels of beer in 2017 is pretty good. Right now they offer 20 different beers, about 30 states you can find it, around, somewhere around 30 states. They offer a Wisconsin Summer Weiss, which they started selling. It's 100% in-state ingredients. Wisconsin ingredients through and through everything that is made into that summer Weiss beer is grown in the state, the great state of Wisconsin. I'm not an IPA guy. Okay. I'll be right up front with you guys. I'm not an IPA guy. Don't care for them, but there's one IPA that I love and that's one that they sell. It's called fixed gear PA. It's like a red IPA, which I'm not, I'm not going to claim to know everything about IPAs, but to me, not a huge IPA guy. Love fixed gear. It's awesome. Definitely give that one a shot. They have their staple River West Stein Lager, Lakefront Lager. They have a whole bunch of seasonals, a whole bunch of IBAs, IPAs, limited releases, all kinds of special seasonal stuff that they have. They do all kinds of stuff. And it's really cool that they just did recently was Discount Liquor, which I won't tell you too much about because I actually have them on my list to be a last call favorite somewhere down the road. 60 years in business, Discount Liquor. So what do they do? They come up with a beer form, honoring Discount Liquor for 60 years of service. So that's, what, that's the kind of people Lake, Lakefront Brewery is. Very involved with the community, very involved with the city of Milwaukee. They love it. A lot of their beers and everything go right along with the Wisconsin traditions. They're good Wisconsin beers that are made. They're just good people. They're just good people. They're just really good for the community, and they give a lot back. And to show, like, to have a special beer like that for Discount Liquor, who's been a staple of Milwaukee for 60 years, is really neat. It's pretty cool. 
Another cool thing they do is they do Black Friday brews every year. People will line up Wednesday, Thursday night before Black Friday after Thanksgiving. And they usually give like two or three options of beer and they make it. It's a specialty thing. They only make it for that, that Black Friday. And once it's gone, it's gone. And people will line the streets waiting to get their opportunity to buy that special beer. It's really cool. It's almost like a cult following at that point. Really good people. Really good for the community. Their brewery tours are outstanding. They do roughly around, I think I read 80,000 people a year come through their tour. And the one thing they do, which is a little different from everybody else, is you get beer at the beginning. Hey, you want some more beer in the middle? And, of course, you get it at the end in the tap room. And if you've never been to a brewery tour before, typically what happens is you only get beer at the end. They take you through the brewery. They show you everything. And by the time they funnel you through the tap room, that's when you get your do your tasting at the end. Not at Lakefront. Lakefront, you get to do it all. You get to do it at the beginning, in the middle, at the end. Their beer hall, fish fries, obviously a staple of Wisconsin is good. They have a curd wagon. A curd wagon. Cheese curd wagon, right? All the staple Wisconsin stuff in there. You can hire it for events. They have it there at the brewery at times. Again, really cool piece of food truck that Lakefront just keeps kind of branching out with these cool little things. They're not like massive and, you know, mainstream and everything. Everything is quality. Everything is real good quality, and everything is really detailed and specific to them, which is, re- which is why I really, really like them. You can find them at lakefrontbrewery.com. At Lakefront is their Twitter handle. And one of the coolest things that, and I, I haven't had a chance to go through the Lakefront tour as of yet, but one thing that's really cool is they took the Bernie Brewer Chalet from County Stadium, bought it, and preserved it, and it's on the tour. You can see it on the tour. And if you don't know what the Bernie Brewer Chalet is, the Milwaukee Brewers have Bernie Brewer, who's kind of like their little mascot there. And he has an old, you know, chalet in what was center field or now Miller Park left field. And when the Brewers are up and batting and someone hits a home run, he goes on the slide. And the old chalet from County Stadium was the old German-looking house, little cottage village-looking house with the slide. He would come down. Very iconic for me growing up. Very vintage. Brings back a ton of memories when I see it. Well, the brothers at Lakefront bought it, preserved it, And now you can see it when you go through the tour at Lakefront Brewery, which is really, really cool. So people that have that much passion for the city, that much passion for the state, like myself, I I I just think it's great. So lakefrontbrewery.com, at Lakefront Twitter handle. Go check them out. If you're a beer drinker, they have probably anything that will will fit your palate, they'll have. And check all their seasonal stuff. Check out their limited releases. A lot of the stuff is just really cool. Some of the stuff they just do one-off of, like I said, the Black Friday, and then it's only for a certain time, and then it's it. It's gone. Graveyard beers, right? They don't come back. So check them out. Good guys, good dudes, good beer. If you go to your distributor and they don't have it, ask for it. Ask for Lakefront Brewery. Go on their website. Check out their beers. So when you go to the distributor or you go to the store, you can ask, say, hey, I'm looking for this. I'm looking for Fixed Gear IPA. Can you hook me up with that? So definitely check it out. Again, appreciate everybody listening. A little bit shorter one this week compared to last week. Again, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, like, subscribe, share, tell a friend, send me a note, podcast at yahoo.com, hit me up at podcast all one word, Twitter handle, like I said, I'll put some stuff on there, but some things we talk about, go check it out, all kinds of content on there, I don't post a ton of stuff, but I post just enough to keep it interesting, so haven't been a big social media guy my whole life, I'm not going to be a big social media guy, but I feel like to have this podcast and stay engaged with everybody, need to have a little bit of something there to have some content on there. So appreciate it. Again, all feedback is welcome. Appreciate you listening. And until next time, have a good one.